Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Into the Dust podcast, hosted by Joe Moore, presented by Belly Up Sports. Joining today's episode, Jeff Seahorn. Hey everyone, it's Ryan from No Credentials Required to talk to you about one of our newest partners at Belly Up Sports, SeatGeek. Yeah, live sports is great on television, but the feeling of being at the arena is a priceless experience. That's why our friends at SeatGeek are there to help you find the best tickets at the best prices. Not only can you get tickets to sporting events, we can also get tickets to concerts, comedy shows, musicals, and more. Search for your desired event now at SeatGeek.com, enter promo code BellyUpSports at checkout, and you save 20 bucks off your first purchase. SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have the tickets. So how are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm doing all right. It's been pretty much the entire area season. Uh, there's still LSPR to go, which is the final event of the season. Um, you've competed... Three events this season, two nationals, one regional, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, that's correct. I I know you said in the pre-show, which was just a couple of seconds ago, that you're having a lack of power issue. Would you mind digging deeper into that? Yeah, so this year, um, the ARA um, changed the rules up to where we run uh, 33 mil restrictors so we tried to um prepare for that by coming up with a new engine configuration by um doing a a d stroke which typically um a smaller smaller displacement is more efficient with a smaller restrictor um which a lot of guys in supers will go down to like a two liter um, jdm configuration so we did a 2.5 liter with a, a um with a two liter crank. So it was a 2.3 liter. And effectively, I think we ended up with a lower compression ratio that we, than we had anticipated and the car just didn't make good power. It made like 235 horsepower when we were, I was kind of hoping we we're shooting for like, like 285 to 290, which would have put us more in the running for some speed this year. So frustrations with that, uh, that was pretty much going into the car's been that way through Olympus and OTR. So, yeah, it's been I tried to push as far as I could at Olympus and and OTR. But the fast the fast stages where there was a lot of Excel, Decel, we lost a bunch of time. We could kind of keep up the pace on stages where there the stages were more flowy, where we would only accelerate once or twice. And then the rest of the stage was we were up to speed. So if you'd paid attention to the times, um, stage times, you know, that's kind of what that re- represented. So yeah, it's been a frustrating season, but I'm, I've 
been driving better than ever. And um, Audie and I have been doing really well in the car. The car handling has been perfect. Um, but yeah, just besides the power issue, it's just been, you know, frustrating. Yeah. Cause I was wondering what was happening at uh, Oregon trail because you were pretty much like the normal distance behind Brandon. Um, you yeah. Call it that. And then after, I think it was on the second day, you just started losing time to everybody. Yeah. You lost and time that, to Jason, that, Leah. Yeah, that was, um, so we started off in poor condition. That actually, we actually started breaking. We lost a boost coupler, um, which I had a 90 degree elbow off of my turbo that went to my intercooler piping and it, it burst in half. So then for, I think Big Boyd is when it, when it burst coming down the hill towards the finish. So then the car went to like pretty much no boost, um, pulled off. We wrapped a bunch of duct tape around it. And then that kind of held it. It would hold for about 30 seconds into the stage and then it would go to half boost. So we probably went from 235 horsepower to probably 150 with no boost and probably like 190 with half boost. But, um, so that's what happened there, but we were, I was pushing as hard as I could at both Olympus and OTR. So, I mean, the normal distance probably would have been a, quite a bit closer if, if we had a decent engine package, you know, making 300, I think Brandon's the factory car probably made like 310, 315 on the old engine. And then their new one makes 320. So if, if, if you put the numbers into like a, like a simple drag calculator, like our car is like 1.8 seconds slower per quarter mile of acceleration with our, with the weight configurations. So it's, you know, it's frustrating because, you know, I'm a privateer that has to go and reconfigure, re-engineer, you know, an engine package myself with the help of, you know, some sponsors and stuff, but, you know, they just have endless you know, endless amounts of um, resources to to figure all that stuff out on an engine dyno. You know, throughout the whole the whole winter season. So, yeah, Brandon's old car. I don't know if this is the exact spec sheet for the car I used this season because I'm looking at the 22R, but that was this is the version that had all the arrow and the different restrictor. It had yeah. approximately 330 brake horsepower. So. Yeah, three thirty with the thirty four. I'm assuming they probably dropped at least ten percent. So, um, or maybe like I think it's eight percent dropping to the one dropping one mil. So it was probably right like three ten. So that's a, it's a big. I mean that's eighty five horsepower to so seventy five horsepower difference to what we are at, and and, and I mean that's not we just we just screwed it up like point blank like we just screwed up our engine package 100 percent. so it, it happens and like you said subaru and vse has the money to screw it up and rebound quickly as a yeah, privateer the, you really don't yeah so i'm you know i'm going on to the dyno because the dyno's in portland you know with john reed so we're going down a couple of days before and then hopefully we get to go do testing the day before we get one day of testing or typically it's a two hour block, you know, and they're just 
they're on a it's a whole nother level with the the team package and you know the their their budget compared to you know what the, what a privateer does with a with an in-house you know diy um rally car so and, and like a couple of years ago when you were competing full full time you were somewhat competing with Hagen's. I know it wasn't necessarily close. I wasn't following the ARA at the time or Rally America at the time, but I'm assuming it wasn't necessarily close because, again, yeah, differences. The closest, you know, we typically were was, was probably like two seconds a mile, which was pretty good considering we were always in the, you know, in the limited class. So what was nice about that was we could run a stock turbo with a 36 mil restrictor. It's fairly efficient. They are make 300 horsepower and we could run cheap fuel, which was E85, which actually it makes E85 makes 10 more horsepower than and I, this year I chose to run open because I didn't want to have to have a weight penalty which was the car would have had to weigh 3200 pounds and um i would have had to add like another 150 pounds of ballast because you couldn't count uh an extra spare tire they took that i used to run two spares to help make weight because each spare weighs about 50 pounds so even last year trying to make 3200 pounds i was running two spares plus another 50 pounds underneath one of the spares of just tools and parts so, I mean, the car was always kind of heavy compared to where we could be. And either way, this year, we're unlimited or open. You'd still have to run a 33, so it's less power with more weight. That makes sense. I just chose to run open and, you know, suck the suck the spec fuel, which I wasn't very happy about, but um, because I can make more power with fuel that costs, you know, five times less so you know it's tough running as a as a privateer with a small budget, but um, you know we're trying to do a lot with very little, and um, it's fun. I had a lot of fun at tour. I mean, it was fairly un um, problematic besides you know just dealing with a lack of power. I might have got a little sidetracked there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Um, so I know I said this would be the the starting point, but now we're gonna get to it. Um, what what got you into rally? So I, back in 2008, I grew up racing motorcycles. So um, like cross country woods type racing, we rode, um, rode in the woods, you know, just trail road as kids. And then I think when all my cousins raced motorcycles, um, so we're always around like doing hair scramble um, woods races, started doing that when I was seven. Um, anyways, did that for, you know, all, all through growing up till I was 18, 20, when I was 20, I got into road racing motorcycles. Um, and then did that at a professional level, never completely professional, but did some AMA super sport stuff. And then was a top, you know, um, top level club club guy up here in the Northwest. And then 2008, um, Motorcycle, all well, the recession hit, motorcycle market kind of crashed. So all the contingencies that we had at a regional level kind of fell apart. They quit paying out contingencies. So I kind of got out of road racing. 
And I ended up buying a Subaru, just a, um, the 2008 hatch off uh, off the showroom floor, and then ended up got into autocrossing it and doing some local autocross stuff. And then we spec- spectated the Olympus Rally in 2010, and kind of uh, spectating. You know, it was a lot of fun. Um, I think I did more drinking than spectating, but um, that was back when they allow they allow open containers on stage. I think, I don't know, maybe it wasn't legal, but, uh, I remember watching and we, you know, I watched the first top five guys go by and they're, you know, they're really fast. And then, you know, you get into some of the, back then it was super production cars. You watch some of the top super production cars go by. I think Dave, Dave Mira was in there. Um, he was one of the top guys. And then some of the other regional guys that were battling and I kind of, you know, would watch them set the cars up. And I know Travis was a motorcycle guy that transitioned really quickly. So I kind of started researching it after that. And I just kind of thought that I might be pretty good at it with my motorcycle background. And um, 2012 is when I sold sold that STI um, car for in hopes that I could find a totaled out STI that I could repair and build myself. So, which I did. Um, so I ended up acquiring that car later in 2012. And then 2014 was my first year, um, of rallying after I, you know, built my, my first car, which was a 2005 STI that was, uh, had been rolled over and totaled out. So I did all the repairs and got it certified or, um, uh, license. I had to take it through Washington state inspection to get it. I had to put it all back together to factory and then get it titled. And then I tore it all back down. So, um, anyways, started off in 2014, um, had a decent season. And then 2015, my first, first round of 2015 was OTR. We actually ended up, we ran regional cause it didn't make sense that back then rally America's national entry was like $1,200 more to run national. Um, so I ran regional for like 800 bucks instead of $2,300 and, uh, or yeah, with the discount or whatever. Anyways, um, we ended up third overall on the combined results, but I only got, um, you know, recognition for the regional, but I, I still got quite a bit of promotion for, um, doing well. So it kind of took off from there. We got some sponsorships and Maxis came on board and then Maxis was probably one of my first sponsors which was started off as you know just as a discount relationship and then grew into something more and then uh i don't know what else i'm rambling on um i ran that 2005 for three seasons and then 2016 yeah i ran it for 2014 15 16 and then i sold it after olympus in 16 and then ended up buying a 2015 car um, and building it for the 2017 season so we could um, compete for the Subaru contingency which was really good so and then Maxis came on as the title sponsor and I had um, you know several other sponsors plus we're racing for contingency so things kind of took off from there you're the second guy I've talked to that has started like full grassroots for rally the other one was Andrew Pinson and you guys kind of in, in a sense started similarly, like you guys both didn't go 
through motorcycles, but you guys, I believe if I remember this correctly, my memory isn't very good, but I believe he also started by spectating rally and then ended up building his own car. But mm-hmm. yeah, which looking back, building my own car was kind of a pain in the pain in the ass because I think for every hour I worked on the car, I probably did three hours of research to try and figure out what I was doing because besides the Olympus, I went down and spectated Oregon Trail rally one more time just so I could peek at cars and kind of see how things were built. And then um, it's kind of ironic that uh, actually Dave um, Rally, Rally Dave from Rally Ready, he had built a 2005 STI and he put his rally build on Nauseoc. So I looked up his build as kind of a, you know, kind of a blueprint to build my 2005 STI. And it's ironic that he actually ended up purchasing the car back or purchasing my car from the, the, the individuals that I sold it to down in Texas. So <laughs> I always thought it was, uh, you know, kind of funny that he ended up with it after I had used his, his build as a, as a blueprint. I, I can never, never... Yeah, I I could never build my own rally car. Um, I I took one mechanics class in high school, and and the entire time the mechanics teachers bullied me. No, <laughs> we 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 once spent half an hour of him asking me to describe a magnet. A magnet? Yes, for no, no. reason. <laughs> <laughs> I think they just work by my magic. I don't know if it's. Even physics. Yeah, I, I, I have no clue. I would sit there. And I, I would probably get it done at some point. It would just take a long while. Yeah, it was. I mean, it took me about a year to kind of. Well, and plus it's expensive to purchase everything, so I kind of just pieced it all together. So I mean, I bought the, the car totaled for sixty five hundred bucks, and then I probably had about. 10,000 in just to buy in body parts. And then, you know, the cage and seats and all the safety equipment plus, you know, suspension and brakes. I probably had like 20,000, 20, $22,000 into the, the initial build, which wasn't terrible. And it, it turned out really nice. I did a good job on it, which I actually got quite a bit of flack for that too, because everybody was like, you're a novice, you're just going to wreck it. I was like, I don't care. Like, I mean, I mean, I've, I'd been racing motorcycles for a long time, and especially road race bikes. Which, when you crash a road race bike, you're pretty much rebuilding all the bodywork, and you know, it never goes back together the same as as nice as it was. But I knew the consequences. But if I'm gonna build something or do something, I'm always gonna do try and do my best to make it look the best best as possible, so that. You know, sponsorship opportunities do come along. You know, people know that you're capable of looking good and going fast is kind of always what my dad taught us. Yeah, and especially, like, in American Rally, getting sponsorships, I've kind of learned, is is somewhat difficult because it's not a hugely covered thing, right? Like, it's more covered now than I think it was yeah, so it's, when you started. Yeah, so I... Um, and I, I've done, I did another podcast that was mostly about sponsorships, but basically you, 
you start off with, I mean, you always, sponsors want to be part of a winning team, typically. So they want someone who's going to podium, someone who's going to be recognized for, you know, being one of the top, you know, top class um, cars so that if somebody does see the product being used, they know that's going to perform. So that was always a goal in my mindset was to, you know, to be fast and be a top competitor. Um, and then you have to look like I would always like my second year I had, I have a buddy that does wrap. So we ended up wrapping the car and I kind of just, I actually mocked Subaru rally teams logo by putting Seahorn rally team. <laughs> and, uh, I don't think they liked it that much, but it got a, a lot of attention. And then, um, <laughs> I, uh, so I just, you kind of try to make the car look, look as, as best as I could. So the sponsors, you know, would be, it'd be appealing for sponsors to, you know, to be on the car. And I think 2016 Maxis, I just, um, I'd redid my logo, but Maxis came on board. So, um, I just kind of overlaid that wrap and put, I changed my logo to, I, a different logo but whatever anyways so yeah um start off i mean i was always i was getting discounts from people and discounts add up so if you're getting 200 dollars off a set of tires that's 200 dollars you can use towards you know fuel or expenses you know if it's if you're buying two sets of tires a weekend then that's 400 dollars that you're saving so everything adds up but you start off with discounts, build a relationship, and then, you know, keep proposing new things that you can do. And like Maxis, the title sponsorship with Maxis was more contingent on building the new car. They wanted a new, they wanted the asset of the 2015 car because that was the most recent um, Subaru out there. And they were thinking about going with another guy who had built the 2015. And, you know, he wasn't as good of a you know performing driver so i was like i had to like really like push them not to sponsor him and give him my tires so i ended up you know capturing that sponsorship and that kind of i mean the the tire deal helped out a lot going into the 2017 series um and i had really good luck with maxis and it, it was a really good sponsorship throughout the years but um you know, that's a, it's a big, you know, big cost taken out of your, you know, taken out of your season if you can have, you know, tires to go, go through that. So, you know, basically our title sponsor was, you know, tires for the season and then the Subaru money paid, you know, the paid the rest of the expenses. And that's kind of how we ran, we ran our championship was Subaru had really good contingency and, you know, we had other you know, support sponsors along the way. Yeah. And and it's always great when you can, you know, have somebody else pay for your, for your mistakes and, and to get discounts off, you know, like you said, $400 for two sets of tires that can go towards, if you wreck the car, rebuilding the car. Yeah. Might never really account to, you know, wreck the car, but it, it happens. It's rally. Yeah. You should always, um, never count out you know crash crash contingency which is keeping money aside for you know, for crashing but normally that money was always visa or mastercard <laughs> so there's and then the 
I really can't say enough about the super contingency. Like that's, you know, when we're, I mean, it was, it was, it was good money. Like it was, it was 5,000 to start in a new car. So if you had a new chassis, it was 5,000 to start on that chassis. And it was 5,000 to win each event, 3,500 and then 2,000 for third. And then 2017, it was a $25,000 championship bonus and it was 15,000 for second. So it was, you know, Travis Neese and I, you know, ran for that money and I was always kind of going for trying to finish, you know, as high as like, as, I was always going for, you know, stage, stage times and trying you know, just to be as competitive as possible, which was always the most fun for me. But, um, you know, we had fairly decent luck and we ended up winning that championship and, you know, that helped fund our season. So thank, you know, thank you for, thanks to Subaru for offering that back then. I, I, I do believe they still offer, um, some contingencies. I don't think it's as big as it used to be. Um, but yeah, they don't do the, they don't do the car contingency anymore, but they do. It's just an early entry. So 10, 10 national Subarus and 10 regional Subarus. So national gets, which is still a lot of money. And I, I always promoted, you know, try to promote the crap out of that because, you know, everybody would always rag on don't rally a Subaru, but that's other, the other one reason why I decided to build a Subaru is because I, I recognized that they had contingency. So when I was building a car and I, I saw the early entry fees and I saw that even my 2005, when I built it, it still got a thousand dollars for a win for a national, but the 2008 and newer at that time was getting the, the bigger money, but I couldn't afford to build the 2008. So, so yeah, and, and motorcycle racing, there was a lot of club racers that would race for, for contingency and for, there was guys that would have four different bikes at a, at a club event because each bike could make $2,000 for the weekend. So there was guys actually making money and racing road racing back like pre 2008 when the market crashed and a lot of the motorcycle shops went under because motorcycles are a luxury. So people weren't buying, buying motorcycles, but you know, I thought contingency money was a great thing. And then it was very, always very appreciative of, you know, Subaru for doing that. Well, yeah. And it's always nice to have an incentive to go into, into an event, you know, because you know, you're just going to be sinking money a lot of people are going to kind of shy away. Like you're always going to yeah. get people interested, but a lot of people are going to be like, do I really have, you know, the sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 to build a rally car or compete in a rally? Yeah. And it's kind of, you know, you, you weigh your options and you weigh, I mean, it's a calculated, you know, gamble or risk, you know, and I, you know, once I got situated into the, you know, into the series and I, you know, you know, kind of, you would figure out who was competing who was building the car and, you know, kind of, you know, weigh your options on, can I make this work if I win X amount of rounds? And, you know, it was, you know, Sam, Sam Albert ran in 2018 with Dirtfish and, you know, he was tough competition. We were always, I don't think he ever, um, really really beat me it was always really close and he always made me push so and you're always just one mistake from you know going off and ruining your rally so you always had to finish and be consistent so it always made it you always had a goal and then when the super money fell off started to fall off in 20 
it fell off a little bit in 2018. They dropped the championship bonus, but the winnings were still there. But then 2019, I think they dropped the race winnings. But Amsoil had came on board. And um, so that made up for a little bit of the difference. And Amsoil has been, a, you know, a, an amazing sponsor since uh, I think 2018 is when they when they came on. So um, I, I've always kind of wondered this with your car. Why do you not run a rear spoiler? Oh, I just I didn't run it at Oregon Trail Rally when I first built it, just because there was such a crunch. The car, the chat, my new chassis was actually a 2015 or 2016 WRX, and the trunk that I got with it did not come with a spoiler, and we so I just ran out of time to install it, so we didn't put it on for um, OTR. Um, twenty twenty two, I think was a lot. Yeah, the first year that I ran this new chassis. So yeah, after OTR, I think we ran uh Tour de Forest and then LSPR. It the car had a spoiler, but just we just ran out of time. It was such a time crunch to get the car done before that round. Yeah, because I was kind of wondering that. I was like, why is he not running a spoiler? <laughs> I mean, it's spoilers one last are, thing to lose off the just, Spoilers are just drag, so it just slows you down. <laughs> and and it's one last thing to lose off the car too. If you if you do inevitably hit something, you know. <laughs> yeah, actually, I don't run the. I don't. So I run a a ninety nine dollar spoiler off of eBay because it it's kind of a cheap piece of plastic, but it's still functional and it weighs like ten pounds less. <laughs> so there's a. There's a pro tip. <laughs> um, so I mentioned in the pre-show. I wanted to get your opinions on the Nefer cancellation for for next year. What are your kind of thoughts on that? Uh, I think it sucks. Um, that was my f- probably one of my favorite events. Um, I haven't ran it since 2018, just because. Um, it costs a lot of money to travel there and it doesn't make sense without the super contingency to go over there. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, I, I've heard rumors of, you know, different things that proceeded into that. And, um, it's frustrating because I don't, the roads, the roads aren't too fast. In my opinion, I think they're very technical and they're very high commitment. You know, if your notes are good and you're you're on pace, I think the roads are actually can be quite safe. So, I mean, I don't know. It's it's a bummer for sure. So, yeah, and I don't I don't necessarily get like the the too fast argument because, like, yeah, sure, the rally itself is very fast, and but at the end of the day, with the rally itself, there's an inherent amount of danger to it. I mean, you can't expect yeah. to have no issues when you're going through forests at 80 plus miles per hour. Yeah, and I'm I'm not quite sure exactly what happened with um, you know TJ's and Aaron's crash, and that sounds like that has nothing to do with this. But I mean, the there's a it's a crest into a crest. Every single corner there's a blind crest. So your notes. You know, your notes have to be perfect, but I found a lot of enjoyment out of it because it was very challenging. 
and I actually enjoyed the amount of, you know, the times that the car's unsettled and the times that you just have to commit to your notes and have a good stage memory and just know your line. I thought, I found, I thought it was a blast. I never felt like the roads were too fast or too dangerous. I just felt like I had to be on my game the entire rally. Otherwise, and there's times when I wasn't, so I would just, I would drive what I could see if I felt like I, you know, but, you know, we were always, um, you know, rallying itself is high risk. And I don't think I never had any, you know, off moments at, at NFER, but um, yeah, your notes had to be, you know, had to be good. But I think, you know, I, I don't know. It's a bummer, but um, and I'm, I'm not sure what the final decision was or why why it was made. But I've heard rumors, but I can't really speak because I'm not not 100 sure of what exactly happened there. So you competed in most of the um, American rallies that have been on the calendar since 2014 or whatever. Um, what has been your favorite event to compete in? Um, well, like I said, the New England Forest Rally, you know, Concord Pond is a very, um, I don't know what, if you want to say historic, but I just remember watching, you know, Ken Block's videos and he was always setting benchmarks on trying to set the stage record. So I'd watch that. I'd watch that stage. Um, and I actually watch, would watch his videos in preparation for that event. And it just looked, you know, it, it's a blast. Like Concord pond is an amazing stage and it's a lot of fun. You know, if you commit to everything and, um, you know, and, and I'm not, the stage differentiates a little bit, but I think our fastest time on that stage was like a 409 when, when the stage was like 5.10 miles. So I'm not sure if it was, I think it was a little bit longer this year, but, and I'm not sure. I think back in like t- pre 2010, it seems like most of the drivers were running cars that were very much similar to the car that kind of like what the privateer can build now. You know, the Subaru rally team was kind of running a car that was probably more similar to my car that I could build out of my, you know, my garage now with the parts that are available and some of the, you know, information that's available now. Back in 20, like kind of pre-2010. Um, so the, the times that I was doing in my limited open car were, you know, consistent with that. So um it was always fun to try and go. And that's always the first stage of that rally too. So you do, I, I always try and go out and push, push my hardest on the first stage to try and set, you know, set a gap to the next car. And then you kind of just watch the times and, you know, figure out what you need to do for the rest of the rally. So you're not, um, having to push too hard and make a mistake. Yeah. And, and too, like with the new England, um, this goes on back on the last question. Um, I think New England is probably the most iconic American rally. So to have it not on the calendar is kind of a bit of a head scratcher, but yeah, it's, uh, I think the roads are, I mean, the roads are like, they're just terrific. Like I love all the crests and the jumps and there's really no other rally quite like it. And I think Ojibwe 
you get some of the crest, but it's just not quite as fast and it's more sandy. Um, Ojibwe is a lot of fun too. I think all the rallies in the States are actually a lot of fun. And if you sit down and, you know, think about each rally has a different char- characteristic to it. So it's kind of hard to say that's the best rally because each rally has its own characteristic. That's a lot of fun. So, um, you know, STPRs, you know, the, the roads are really fast and smooth. They're kind of high stakes because some of the, you know, trees are close, but that makes it unique. Um, Southern Ohio, when I did it, and the roads are very, you know, twisty and tight and technical and flowy. When we did, it was super hot, so I, I didn't like it very much. <laughs> hot and humid. Um, like 80% humidity and 80, like 80, 90 degrees, which... If it's like over 15% humidity here in Washington, I think everybody dies. But, you know, all, all, I mean, Idaho is a lot of fun. You know, Oregon Trail is, you know, fast and fun. It reminds me of the roads I grew up on. And then Olympus is, you know, in the kind of in the rainforest um, roads with, you know, great gravel roads and, you know, tight technical and then they also have really fast fast flowing roads so yeah i wouldn't say any of the any of the round you know in, incredibly fun to go do so what's doing like because i know you're from washington correct yeah spokane so what's doing your kind of home rally like for you um either olympus or or otr um so we're on the other side of the state but Either one's about the same same distance away, depending on traffic for uh, Olympus, because you go through Seattle at the wrong time and it could take another hour or so. But um, OTR would probably hit more home because the roads I grew up on south of Spokane are are similar to it. Um, I grew up on kind of the in the farm farm area south of Spokane and the Palouse area. So I think that's another reason why I'm fast there is because I can pick up on the the visual cues like when we're down in Dufer on those kind of those farm farm roads that are out in that desert area. Um you know, it's just there's no tree lines, it's just, you know, roads and fields. The one year that I twenty fifteen I was catching cars in front of me, so I'd actually and also I used to race desert bike or race desert races. So you'd kind of, you'd watch dust clouds in front of you to kind of cue where the course was going to go. So I think I was following one car and that one, I think Boyd, you come down a hill and the road goes through some S corners and then it goes into a square 90 and then it runs across the field line and goes, you know, over a bunch of crests and then hits another square corner. So instead of, you know, really paying attention to my co-driver, I was watching the dust pile up in the corner. So I would just push super hard into these square lefts where I saw the dust cloud. <laughs> and then, uh, I mean, I was listening to my co-driver, but I was paying more attention to where I needed to to slow down <laughs> than the distances and trying, because it's like just crest, crest, crest. Like, so you're just, all you hear is crest 400. So it can be deceiving when you're, you know, more of a novice driver, but... You know, just 
things like that. I think that's kind of where I picked up my speed was it was at OTR, just kind of trying to push hard in the out in the desert roads, which reminded me of home. Would you say you have a least favorite rally that you competed in? Probably, and it's mostly just because it was so hot and humid. But the Southern Ohio Force, <laughs> they were <laughs> twenty, yeah, twenty twenty. It was COVID when they kind of lifted some of the restrictions. That was the first rally that we ran, and it was just super hot and humid. And we started, I think, at seven, and we didn't finish till four in the morning. Like they ran it. I think we ran three legs. It was like three three legs of two stages each or three stages, but it was just, yeah. It was the heat and the humidity, which I wasn't used to. And then I think the roads would have been a lot of fun, but it was a night rally too. So you're hot and you're tired. And yeah, I think that was just, uh, I would love to go do it when, you know, when the weather was a bit less humid and during the day. So... Because I know you're, you kind of started, like, you were still working on the car up until, I think it was after 100 Acre. Um, Do you have any plans to compete in more than just Olympus and Oregon next year? Or is that just going to stay kind of the same? Um, Right now, it depends on, um, I'm probably going to just stick to these local rounds just because it doesn't make sense financially um, with, you know, current level sponsorship and it's just more of a time commitment anymore. So I'll see what, um, you know, what sponsorship happens next year, but I don't have too many aspirations to travel to too much, especially, and I mean, we'd have to need quite a bit more funding right now because fuel costs are so high. So I think we're right now we're like five fifty for diesel in Washington. So yeah, right now it's just a financial financial um, game, and then just the time commitment to prep and maintain a rally car on your own is um, you know it's just very time consuming. And then it you know if you commit to more rounds with a sponsor, it's a very stressful situation. Because, you know, you accept a contract and you commit to rounds, then it's something happens on the first round, which first or second round. And then, you know, if you write the car off or if you have like, if you have, you know, some big issue, the engine blows up, you know, you have, you have to fix it and you have to make it to fulfill your contract. So, I mean, it's, everything's a gamble. So you're always pushing that envelope of time money and you know and yeah your personal well-being i guess <laughs> it gets so you know you get so wound up into you know putting everything into making it to several rallies it can be it turns into a job at, at some point in terms of like dream rallies that you want to attend what would be your dream rally to attend my dream rally would to be really do any rally, but just do arrive and drive <laughs> just to show up and run a, you know, do the, do the arrive and drive driver. Um, and, and most preferably probably like a, like an RC two plus. So it'd be a, you know, an open class car that was, you know, prepped by someone who's not a redneck engineer like myself. <laughs> So, I mean, yeah, like, you know, when we're showing up 
to these rallies, um, you know, I'm prepping the car all the way up. And most of the time it's like, if we're being serious coming into something and I want the car to be perfect, like you're literally working on the car every single night for at least a month straight. And then it's always, it doesn't matter how much, how much work you have to do. You're always going to work on the car to the last minute to try and get every little thing done. So then you're loading up the night before you're tired and then you get to the event, you're either going to dyno testing or you're going to a test day. And then I unload the car at the test day. And typically it's just my co-driver and me. I load it back up. I, we reprep, reprep it we wash it. And then we go to recce. We get back from recce. If something happened during testing, then I'm unloading the car back at the hotel or the rental we're working on the car instead of looking at notes and doing the things that you know just a driver should so you know having that team team behind you so you know a lot of the reasons why you know brendan and barry and everybody and travis and or leah any any you know any of these people that kind of have that arrive and drive package or patrick or you know, any of these, you know, people that have that option, you know, reasons why they, they do well is because they have a team backing them. So, you know, it can be very strenuous weekends when you're doing it all yourself and trying to do it on a, you know, a shoestring budget. So arrive so, and drive would be my dream rally. And it could probably be any, any rally really, but <laughs> So you worked with a lot of co-drivers throughout your career so far. Um, I'm not going to ask for your mm-hmm. favorite because I don't want you to hear about it from somebody if you don't save them. But but how difficult is it to switch from co-driver to co-driver to co-driver? Um, it's not it's not terribly difficult to switch. Um, I've had a lot of I've had really good co-drivers. Um, a lot of times it's just. Mo- They'll have um, different commitments. Um, like uh, Matt James was really good. He ended up getting picked up from you know some other drivers that um, that had more rally commitments going on. So he actually co-drove for Leah for a while with Hoonigan. So he got he got that right. So I, I lost lost him, and then. Um, can't remember you know audi's been with me for probably six six rallies now and um audi's really i mean i don't have a lot of complaints about it's just typically it's um you know it's just commitments and commitments and time frames and who they're gonna run with audi also runs with he runs with audi a lot he ran with he ran with petter fatello when i was competing against petter uh so yeah, it's it's I don't know, it's kinda like I used to we used to do tag team races on motorcycles and it's kinda like it's almost like trying to find a date for homecoming a lot of times when you're trying to you know, match up with somebody, it's more about just, hey, are you available? <laughs> like and kinda your your like minded goals, I guess, for you know, a lot of co drivers, you know, they wanna be with somebody who's fast because they enjoy enjoy co driving and they enjoy you know, being with somebody who they can trust and they can have fun with. So just kind of finding, finding that relationship and, you know, and going with it. Yeah. And, and, and 
It's going to – because I know there are some better co-drivers out there um, than others uh, just from experience level. But it just – and it's just how to, I guess, you gel with the co-driver too, right? Yeah, I mean, you're you're with them all weekend, so you have to have similar interests. And um, I'm probably a pretty annoying driver to be with, to be honest, because I always have some stupid sarcastic joke that Mike will be driving on recce, and I'm just like blurting out these stupid things that I see or whatever and distracting them. So, <laughs> which uh, I guess they got to get used to, but. You know, I've had I've had a lot of fun with all my co-drivers. Um, I don't know, but yeah, if you don't if you don't have the same same interests and I know you did the I think it was the big white winter rally in Canada in twenty fourteen. Fourteen? I don't know. Twenty fourteen. Yeah, that was my first first year i want to i'm gonna try and i've always tried to go back and up and do it but at the end of most seasons it seems like the car's always been either blown up or rolled over so but this year it's in the books to try and go do that because it's only it's pretty much just right north of us so yeah and and, and it's a, probably a different rally for you guys too because it's it's similar i guess to snowdrift considering it's on snow but you also i think you have tire studs as an option not sure yeah so we did it in 14 it was a regional and studs are allowed they're dot studs i was one of the only drivers in 14 that ran studs and like the first stage was kind of icy and i think i ended up getting like second fastest time and i was a novice and everybody kind of knew that so they were humming and hawing like, oh he's got studs on and but we ended up getting second overall after all was said and done to um, Kenny Wall, who uh, ended up, I think he worked at Rocket Rally at the time, but the stage, the stages got pretty, I was just running Nokian street tires and he was, he ended up running the Yokohamas, which was like a dedicated, had a pretty open tread because the stages ended up getting pretty snowy. There's quite a bit of snow that year. It was actually a lot of fun, but uh he pulled quite a bit of time on us. Like some of the stages like weren't plowed and there's like almost like eight inches of fresh snow that we had to track through. So Kenny, I think that was like fourth on fourth or fifth on the road is where I was seated on the first pass. And then I think I was second on the second on the second passes through. If you had to build one rally car, what would it be? Like any rally car ever. Hmm. You mean to be competitive or just to have something cool? Just, just for fun. It doesn't have to be competitive. You, if you want, you can build a Volkswagen Beetle with a B8 engine and that could barely drive in a straight line. Yeah, I think it'd be pretty, pretty badass to just build some old American muscle car and then put like Subaru drivetrain in it just to piss people. <laughs> so. But then you'd have to, I don't know, I think it'd be more fun to have rear-wheel drive. I've never I've never done rear-wheel drive just because I've, I've always enjoyed the, you know, the, the fun of turbo all-wheel drive. That's kind of what got me into Subarus in the first place was riding in a buddy's car on a winter rally cross on snow. And the thing just had so much, it was a turbo legacy, actually, a wagon. 
and like he he won it overall. <laughs> so there's four of us in this car, and he just launches it on snow. It's like holy shit, this thing's got a lot of grip, and it just goes like this is cool. And I had a two-wheel drive pickup at the time, which I think I won two-wheel drive. But you just sit there and spin. It's like so. I was always into speed and grip. But um, I think two-wheel drive would be a lot of fun to build, like an old kind of like Tim Tim O'Neill built that AMC. But maybe do something with a little more modern suspension underneath it, kind of like uh, Derek's BRZ that he built that Leah ran. There's a few like newer like muscle cars that people run. I know there's. I think it's a '90s. Either an '80s or a '90s Camaro that's run. I know that's a bit older. There's also, I think, like a 2010 Mustang that somebody runs. <laughs> yeah, I think Dave is it. Dave Hints. He just built a new Mustang, but I'd want to do something with some custom, some custom suspension. I would like long travel, but and there's like the iconic. Uh, I think some of the iconic Subarus, like a 22B wide body, would be would be badass, or the. Even like the um, the S12, like WRC replica that Logman, um, Robin and Log- Logman has. That'd be a fun car to run too. Yeah. Uh, like there's there's a lot of cars really you can build. And that, it, that's why it's a difficult question because it's like you could go one or two routes. You could go to build a newer car or you could build an older car. Yeah. I think a lot of the older cars actually have better like better geometry for rally because a lot of the newer cars are getting too big even i really think the gd subaru chassis was a better chassis than the current one minus the fact i think the the new chassis is good it has i think it's more rigid the way they have the the a-pillar supports come down into the strut towers i think it's actually a lot it's a lot stiffer but it's just a big big and then the double the rear suspension is kind of problematic, but yeah, I think some of the older, like '90s, early 2000 cars, are actually better chassis just because they're smaller. Well, they're smaller, and some of them are purpose-built for rally, or some are built for rally with in, with rally in mind. So, yeah, the the um, trailing arm McPherson struck linkages that were on the GD and the previous cars were a way better setup for. For doing long travel type suspension and you can see like, like the new i'm not quite sure on the rest of it but subaru vermont sports car went back to a strut on the rear if you notice that on the new build i i really haven't even looked at the new build i know i've written about it but i haven't really looked which I much think, at, at it yeah so. which i think the the uh, V, the twenty, the old chassis, it had to have the control arm base suspensions because the rule book stated that if it came with whatever type of suspension, you had to stick with it. And then I think they took that away when they were trying to reconfigure things more similar to the RC2 class because the Ford Fiesta doesn't come with that type of suspension on it. So I think they were trying to bring it more in line with you know how an rc2 car was built yeah and even then like there's still like a gap between the two so yeah i think that car is pretty close to rc2 but um 
I don't know. I don't really know too many specs about it. It obviously makes more horsepower. I think RC2s make around 290 to 300 horsepower on a 32 mil. So it doesn't surprise me that they're making 320 with a 33. Yeah. And two, it also helps that, you know, the team backing it has pretty much unlimited funding to actually keep the car competitive. Yeah, and I, you know, the engineers that they've hired to come in and build that car, they they have all come from, you know, WRC backgrounds. And, I'm, you know, I'm not sure on specifics, but, you know, Vermont definitely has a great team of engineers that, you know, built their current car and the previous ones, too. Its previous cars are, you know, they're, you know, it's a, it's a factory-built race car. Like, it's, you know, they had their... They had everything together when they built it, like they're, you know, world-class engineers. So, Yeah, and they put a lot of work into those cars. It, yeah. It's not just it's not just a walk up to a board, draw a car, and build it. They put it all. No, yeah, and it's kind of, it's interesting and it's a little bit depressing to watch their new series because just looking at their, just their chassis jig, like, I'm like, they have more money into their chassis jig than I have into my entire program. I'm just like, I hope people watch this and they're like, Oh, I get it now. It's just, you know, it's amazing to see the amount of, you know, just little details like that. And just, you know, they have a jig for every component that goes onto that chassis just to make sure that the chassis is perfect, you know, and here's Jeff Seahorn in his garage you know, with a measuring tape placing a main hoop and they got, they have jigs that go, that place the main hoop that attach to the concrete foundation. I don't know. It's just, it's amazing to see the things that they've done. Everybody in the boardroom talking about designing the car, not one of them has an American accent besides Lance. (laughs) I know we got to do this and blah, blah, blah. And like everyone's just from a different, you know, different country, different background. And you're just like... I, I remember oh. sitting there watching Oh, that they, they flew in some people for this one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I remember watching that series, and I and I think it was their lead um, designer or whatever. And he had, like, the most, like, I think it was French, like, the most thick French accent ever. And I'm like, I can't yeah. even understand what the dude's saying right now. <laughs> so I don't know what he's saying, but I like it. I, it I sounds, don't know what he's saying. It sounds fast. Yeah, I, I know it's going to go quick. I know it's going to look probably decent, but I, I don't yeah. understand anything he's saying. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's a wish I could have, should have, should have spent more time back flipping bicycles or motorcycles <laughs> instead of going to work like everybody knows. <laughs> yep, why not work? Everything's, everything is to blame on work. Or like Larry and Tyser, and just wear denim suits and drink beer and case snowmobiles and have. It's like I don't, I don't know. You got to be, you got to be tubular famous or Instagram famous anymore to really put the whole package together. There's definitely a marketing aspect to car racing. Well, and and I think you know, um, that's I mean, something I mean, that... not to take. I mean, they're all world class drivers, like. Not to take away from that, but you know, they're all they're also, you know, they're athletes. They're not 
they all deserve it. There's definitely a you know marketing aspect to becoming sponsored and becoming a factory driver in the in the states. Yeah, oh yeah, and you know, and like you think about all the like top drivers that have been in American Rally. You know, you have Ken Block, who was sponsored by like pretty much by his own company, and yeah. had you know pretty much unlimited money to just throw around and throw into an entire car. Uh, yeah. Travis Pastrana, who was, you know, he's Travis Pastrana. I think you know who Travis Pastrana is. <laughs> 17, and he was thrown into a into a rally car. Maybe he's older than that, and I can't remember what year he got into it. But yeah, I remember he's actually a year younger than me, and I always just remember watching him as, you know, as a young teenager. And I always thought he was, you know, several years older just because he was always on another level. And he's very well, I mean, he's very, like, social socially adept where you know he has a present to a presence to him because he's been in front of a camera since he was a you know, young kid yeah and he knows what he's talking about and that's that's a great and he's thing like he and he's like hyperactive as fuck so he's just very intense <laughs> which and, i have i have a hard time with but and, and you know what he has he, he just has that like he he literally is like the definition of I don't give a crap about what happens to me. Like I think the dude has broken every bone in his body at least twice, and he still goes yeah. out there and, and does think, everything he does. And yeah, like, it's funny because I think he one of his quotes was, "I can't remember what he was racing." He goes, "I don't have as much skill as these guys, but from from what I lack in skill, I make up in risk taking." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh." Which I think he has got a lot of skill, but he was, I can't remember. He does so many crossover sports. It was something that he doesn't do that often, but he just pretty much said, I'm going to take more risks than everybody today. So it was kind of funny. Yeah. Well, it's Travis Pastrana. If he didn't go out there and risk it all, I, I, you know, I, I don't know how the Duke can still walk at this point. Like, if, yeah, if a normal human breaks that many bones, I'm pretty sure they would be paralyzed. I, I'm yeah. not sure about that. I'm not a doctor. Yeah, I think it was at one of the after parties. We were out drinking at a bar, and he was like, talk, I was talking to him. And he's like, and he's kind of, he was not mad, but he was like, because him and Higgins had a battle where if they won, whoever won the most amount of stages at Ojibwe was going to take home the championship. So, like, they're both tied. Nobody could win or lose more points for this season because they both their drops all both ended up with they're going to have the same amount of event points so it came down the tiebreaker was who won the most amount of stages and i think they had it was a point system like if stage wins and then positions two or from a stage win so like it was kind of some weird point system and higgins had a big problem on is this really long stage where they like ran us down this almost like a side-by-side trail but higgins like had water splash up into his windshield so he ended up stopping on stage and it's like a 15 mile stage but we pretty much had our championship wrapped up all we had to do was finish so i went i kind of tiptoed through it like i said you know decent i beat my competitor so we won won my class through it, but I went pretty slow through it. So I think we were like a second or um, a minute, a minute 50 or something off of it. And the leaders are just going like 10-10, like Travis is going 10-10. So everybody's going, and then Barry McKenna 
like they're just going like flat out no cares like no like they don't care if they rip a bumper off or whatever so anyways we like we're thir- third overall and higgins had to stop on course and actually get out and like wipe his windshield off or something so he like lost like a minute and a half but for whatever reason higgins still beat us on the stage even after losing time because you know we were tiptoeing so pastrano was mad because if i had beat him it wouldn't have come down to the, like the final stage. Like he would have won it sooner. So, anyways, he was like, "So, with all due respect, like, quit driving like a, you know, a, a blank." <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> "Like, like, no, like, you don't understand. Like, we had our championship wrapped up. Like, I don't, I can't afford to make a mistake and write the car off." And he's like, "No, like, just stop driving like that. You got to like." <laughs> so I was kind of. He's just giving me this pep talk, and I'm just like, no, Travis, you don't understand. Like, I don't have the money to fix this car if I wrap it around a tree. Like, I have to drive within my limits. So it was just, it was funny. It's like, no, I don't, I can't calculate those risks. Like, it's not worth it. And we won. Like, (laughs) so it was the next morning, like, I'm standing up there with my bonus check, and he's like, oh, he's racing for money. So then he was kind of more apologetic the next day. (laughs) Travis is just hyper competitive, and I don't blame him. I mean, you're in a sport that is extremely competitive, and when you're facing your teammate and, you know, the person who was there to replace you effectively. Yeah, but I think it came down to the final stage for for Higgins and him, and it was because I think – Higgins, like it came down to the final super special stage in downtown Detroit Lakes or whatever. And they had to go through this like hay bale chicane on the street stage. And like Higgins went the wrong way. It was supposed to, I think it was like left entry, and he went, he thought it was right entry. And that's where he lost the rally, was like because he messed up on a chicane or something. And Higgins was not very happy about it. And then um, so Pastrana ended up winning the championship that year, but that was a it was an inter- interesting one to to watch. But, and then we won our championship, but I think we had like a fairly large buffer. I think we won that won that rally by like six minutes or something. So it was kind of just just needed to finish. And it was like the difference of like ten thousand dollars if we didn't finish a stage or didn't finish. So I was kind of taking her easy. Yeah, I, I forget or no, I think I, I think I know exactly which one you're talking about, and I think I know the issue David had. I'm pretty sure his car died in the middle of the stage. Yeah, it was something that was kind of. <laughs> I think his car died in the middle of the stage. Yeah, I don't know. I feel he wasn't very happy. I remember that much. I mean, who would be happy to lose a championship on the final stage of an event? It was just crazy that it came down to the final stage. I, I wish American Rally had more of those. Like I know David and Ken had a good championship in twenty thirteen. I know last year Ken and Brandon had a good championship run, but we need more of that. And that's the issue right now is it's like nobody can really keep up with Brandon. Even if we have Travis come back. Yeah. I, I think don't... It's, yeah, it's just it's team and budget. And then, I mean, obviously, car too. Like you can't, you can't outrun physics, but you know it's everything. So unless you know, it's everything's expensive. Like 
I know I wish I wish I could campaign a full season with a top level car, but you know, some of the you know, the Riven drives, like it's forty thousand dollars per weekend to do a Riven drive with some, with an R five package. And you know, I'm trying to do things for less than you know, four thousand dollars a weekend for most local stuff, and that's you know, paying paying crew and tires and hotels and fuel and everything else like it's just it's, it's a lot of money to spend so that's kind of why i do do all try to do all my own stuff and work around all the high cost stuff because it's just you know it's a very expensive sport i don't but, think a lot of people realize that is it's like you know i think to a lot of people they sit there and think oh yeah rally can't be you know that expensive just off of racing and then it's like you sit there and it's like you have, you have a person list off expenses to you and, they, and then their jaw just drops to the floor. It's like, I wasn't expecting yeah. that. Yeah. So like for just to do the regional last weekend, you know, 600 bucks entry and it was, you know, 350 to fly Audi over. It was about $600 in fuel just to drive across Washington. Uh, 110 for a hotel. Well, 200 bucks for, I don't know, what are we up to? 1500 bucks for a regional. And then I burned through, I set a tires. I, I ran for one stage at OTR. They were takeoff tires. I don't know. I maybe spent $2,000 to do just a regional for 30 miles. That's cheap. What are you talking about? That's not expensive. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's people's mortgage. That's for one weekend of racing. Like, <laughs> That's why I'm doing four rounds. If you can tell, they're being sarcastic. Yeah, but I mean, for for a rally, that is cheap. Like to do like LSPR last year, I think I spent around ten thousand dollars to drive over there between expenses and everything, and then I ended up breaking. And I mean, the center diff was out, and then the freaking the head gaskets ended up going, so they ended up rebuilding the engine. And that's not including all the additional costs of repair. That's just the base expenses of driving over there. It's, yeah, it's insane. Maybe it's more like seventy five hundred. A lot of money. It's like I always when I was starting rally, like I'd parts for cars, like suspension was like I would always group it into like, okay, that's a motorcycle. That's another motorcycle. Like, should I be buying motorcycles right now? Instead of car parts. <laughs> So I was always like trying to find ways to like, okay, instead of spending six grand on suspension, I'm going to, you know, spend $2,000 on Bilstein's or so spend six grand on Olin's or whatever else. It was you know, three times as much and it was money I could put towards something else. But so I don't know. Yeah. It's a, it's definitely a game of finances. Yeah. And, and anything is, and you know, things are only getting more and more expensive and, you know, worse and worse yeah that, that's the unfortunate part it's like you you know you said you spent what 6500 6, on a rally car to buy it today that's probably gonna that will probably say back like 10 yeah well yeah um well this new chassis i got it was pretty much just a shell and then ended up having a cage in it and it was actually pretty cheap but i just had to swap all the parts over but then the the 2015 that I bought, I bought it from an auction as well. It was $16,000 for a car that had everything in it. It just had a blown engine. 
So when to buy a brand new one was $35,000. So if you try and try and be smart and buy right, you can kind of make things make more sense. But Yeah. And, and that's always yeah. going to be the thing. It's, it's, it's not cheap to do what people do and people make it seem like it's cheap to do and it's not cheap to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it just depends. Like there's a lot of drivers who pay for services to have the car built and, pay for to have the car reserviced and i think i mean they make more money at you know in their occupation but they also spend a lot more money than i do to go rally so i don't know if it's a what at what point it's a break even but they probably work longer hours at their job or you know maybe they just get paid way more but you know, I'm I'm making up for it by spending extra hours in the shop. So I don't know what at which point is more beneficial. I don't know. Yeah. I'd be the jack of all trades that's doing everything. Jack himself, of all or, trades, master of none, pretty much. Yeah. Or or just being a smart businessman that can spend all the money. I think that would be the preferred way. Oh yeah. I should have spent more time paying attention in school than focused on Racing motorcycles. Yeah, we all make mistakes. <laughs> so one like summer school, and when I was at WSU, I was taking summer school just to catch up on credits because I did um, associate arts or whatever at a community college, and then just transferred from my major. Anyways, I did six weeks of summer school, and I was gone for two weeks of it because I was off road racing motorcycles at AMA events. <laughs> I mean, every, everything can be, you know, classed as a tax write-off in some in some ways, depending on how rich you are. Yeah, uh, that's that's the fun part. Is is tax I look at racing. I look at racing as it's a it's an experience and a memory that you would regret if you never if you went back and never did it. So, well, yeah, and it, and two, it's like, yeah, you're spending a lot of money for you know two three days of fun, but that's two, three days of fun. And it's, you know, not everybody yeah. gets to do it. And it's something, it's an experience. And that's the fun of it all. Yeah. I think it's more interesting than watching football on Sunday. Well, yeah. And you get to go out there and do something. And you get to be, you know, around people who have some somewhat similar interests to you. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's the experience factor of it. And, that's why I've always said rally is probably one of the best sports out there is because it's different than any other sport, you know, with, with football, you just, you know, you sit and watch people play on a TV or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've never been a good spectator, which is probably why I've only spectated one. Well, a couple rallies, but second one, it's more for research. I get very bored watching people do things, so I always have to be trying to find things I want to go out and do. Like, I don't even watch, I don't watch racing that much on, unless I'm doing it for research. Like, I don't enjoy watching racing very much. Like, I'd rather, it just makes me depressed. I'd rather, makes me want to go out and do it. Not depressed, but just, like, <laughs> bored. Like, yeah, had enough, like. I'd rather be in the car than, like, I never really had much appreciation for NASCAR until I went and ran um, the AMA 
super super sport event at um, Daytona when I actually rode rode around the NASCAR like three and four. Like it's pretty intense. Like you're going 170. And it's just like you're like on a motorcycle. You're just tucked down under the over the tank, and like your neck is actually pushed all the way back because you're like looking through the corner because the banking's like 37 degrees and it's like you're right in the inside of a barrel and that was back before they paved it so if it didn't stay up high towards the um like they have a line like three quarters of the way up if you didn't stay up high like the brake bumping down on the bottom of the track like you would just sit there like it'd like crush your ribs against the tank when you'd hit like go through the brick like all the bumps it was insane so, so speaking of NASCAR, I, I meant to ask this earlier. What made you decide to do the livery that you use? Oh, it was, um, I just thought it was funny. And um, so Amsoil's logo kind of resembles the Wonder Bread logo with the, with the white and the red. So I asked him, I was like, hey, are you guys okay if I do this? I'm like, yeah, that'd be funny. <laughs> And then uh, I've always enjoyed the, I've always enjoyed Will Ferrell's movies, but and I've always been a fan of Talladega Nights just because I thought it was a really funny satire parody of NASCAR. Um, so yeah, it was just something fun to do. And then it seems like there's like three or four more NASCAR themes this year. So I don't know if I started that or what, but I'll take credit for it. <laughs> Pat Morrow has the. Mellow Yellow from Days of Thunder. I think River City has has another Days of Thunder one, too. Yeah, it's just funny to see, you know, like when you go out there to a rally stage, you don't expect to see like a NASCAR livery. You know? It's like, oh, yeah, there's a guy running a NASCAR livery. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's pretty funny. I think Pat Morrow's car looks pretty cool, too. His car is just cool in general. I mean, it, it's something you would never think of. You know, who thinks of a, you know, I think it's a V8 swaps Chevy Sonic. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then uh, Sam's car is pretty pretty sweet, too. <laughs> that thing is, that thing, I don't, I think more, it's it gets a lot of attention. And I think it's hilarious because most people sit there and I think just have their jaw on the floor. Because it's like, how is he running a Subaru with a, you know, BA Ferrari engine in it. Like, I think the engine weighs as much as the car. Yeah, he's. It seems like he. Well, he put everything in the back too. Because I mean, there's no room in the front of that car either. But yeah, he went through a, a lot of a lot of work to get that thing to happen. But it's kind of unfortunate to see him have those stupid little mechanicals. But it kind of worked out for us at OTR. If he, I think he would have not blown his diff up, he probably. He was about ready to pull ahead of us because we were having power issues. But that car is pretty damn fast. Like at tour, he was 14 miles an hour faster than us at, on the trap speed towards at the finish line of one of those stages. So <laughs> our car is still pretty slow, but I was driving like a complete a hole trying to stay ahead of the rally three after we lost two seconds to him on the first stage. So I put together some really good stages just. Trying to keep the thing as flat as possible wherever I could. Yeah, that thing's insane. Like, I wish the, because I don't think he'll be able to run the thing next year, but I wish the ARA would actually allow him to. 
because I think it's just a huge pull for the for the championship. Yeah, it gets a lot of attention for sure. I mean, yeah, I mean it's 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 a BA swap super <laughs> to get attention. If, yeah. if it didn't get if it didn't get attention, I would be concerned. Yeah, and I'm not sure. I don't know. I think the limit is like three point four liters naturally aspirated, which I mean you could spend a lot of money. I think I can't remember if there's like some porches out there that make like four hundred horsepower that are I think they're like three point six liters though. But I don't know. It makes you think outside the box when they put these stupid restrictor placements in because restrictors do nothing then small restrictors do nothing to slow down factory cars they only slow down the rest of the field because the factory is going to figure out how to make maximum horsepower through it the rest of the field's not which is kind of like where we ended up this year we totally got it wrong cost a lot of money to make horsepower through a small orifice so the smaller the orifice the more money you spend to make power well yeah and and of course too uh, at a team like Subaru has the ability to, you know, do testing, do a bunch of tuning, you know, pretty much just go through and do a bunch of crap with the car. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. they have a whole department dedicated to it. They, they just fly in more people from, you know, whatever country. <laughs> yeah, well I, well, I think their engine guys, um, what is it, Bill, Bill Fogg Jr.? Yeah, the guy that used to own Rally America is this kid, but either way, I mean, they, I'm sure they have a, they have an engine dyno and they're just, you know, where I have to buy parts, put them on the car, go to a chassis dyno, which is four hours away, you know, so it's a whole, you know, weekend trip just to go try something, then pull the motor back out. They're just, you know, swapping cams, swapping, you know, doing whatever right on the engine dyno and they're, that's their program all winter long. You know, that's one guy or one, one team's job to figure it out. Or I'm fixing this, fixing that, going to, you know, plus going to work for eight to nine to 10 hours a day and coming home tired. Just want to sit and do nothing. Man, just quit your job. Who needs a job anymore, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, people understand this is all happening after the full day's work. I think when people think of rally, they just think it's, you know, the simplest thing ever. Like everybody has a car built for them, like a manufacturer built car. And it's like, yeah. Well, I get a lot of people asking me, like, oh, that's not all you do? I was like, no, that's, this is my hobby. This is, like, this is the passion that happens after this, the day job. Like, oh, I thought you were, like, paid to do that. It's like, well, kind of, but it's just to help pay for expenses so I can do it more often. That's really about it. Yeah, it's not, it's not simple to, to, you know, to run a rally car. Uh... No. Unless you have a full team behind you, then you know it becomes easier. Yeah, I mean, well, that's their, that's those guys is that's their full job. Eight to five is make a rally car win, and it's not, it's a whole team. That, that's like that's the fun part of it all. It is you know, it, it's fun watching those cars go because you just know there's so much work behind it. But it's also it's like, it's for guys like you. It's like. Oh my god, what's going on here? Yeah, it's just full commitment. I remember I talked to Brandon like probably about the half season after he got the the ride the first year and cuz me and Brandon always used to be 
you know, really, we would always compete close to each other when we were on our, both of our, both of us were on a privateer basis. And granted, he was, you know, having Rocket Rally build some of his cars. But before that, I think he just purchased a, like a WRX that he ran. But, and I think he's been rallying longer than I have. But anyways, he said the biggest thing was just the not having to worry about the car has been like the most amount of time. But I think the car, I think the car is really good too, which is worth some seconds. But I think having the team and not having to worry about things is a, it's a whole nother realm of driving also. And if, I mean, if you watch Travis and those guys drive, like they're driving the things like they don't care if they rip something off because the team's going to put it back together. Well, you have an unlimited budget to put it back together. I mean, they it's like... have they got sets of everything in the trailer. Like they got, you know, really good spares package. I've seen even when like Oliver Solberg, he got a puncture at 100 acre wood and like completely ripped the whole front of the car off just because he drove on the puncture. And they had the thing back together in a 40 minute service, like with new everything, like new because it's like all aluminum carbon fiber like they had all the parts back together i mean they had some things were kind of hokey dokey because they have time constraints but it went back out looking pretty damn pretty damn fresh yeah i mean for most teams it's like oh yeah you know we have a transmission issue oh okay our rally's over for them it's like you have a transmission issue okay everybody on high gear get get in the get get over there start working on the car come on right yeah 20 30 minutes but <laughs> i've had services where i come in and we have have an issue and i i de-suit and get on my fire suit so i can work on the car like a lot of times if we have big issues like i'm i'm in there working on it because i i built the thing and i know exactly how everything needs to come apart you know at a minimum i'm supervising so i'm doing a lot of team team management during services instead of Stepping away and reviewing notes or looking at videos. Well, yeah, it was like it. One of the rallies I finally, we had pretty much ran the same loop. I think Olympus, they canceled one of the big stages. So they just ran us on the same stage like three times or the same two stages on one day because they canceled like one whole loop. So they ran us six stages on Sunday. So it was like two stages, two stages, two stages. So finally on the after the going into the third leg, I finally, we had, there wasn't any issues with the car. So we just sat down and reviewed notes and watched a video and we dropped 10 seconds per stage just because I had the time to stop and review and like go over. And plus, I mean, it was the third time I ran the stage. So I had it fairly well memorized, but it was worth a lot of time just to be able to do that. It all adds up. It's a very, interesting game but that's the fun of it all is just how interesting it actually is to do yeah yeah it's definitely one of the biggest challenges i've ever encountered in my life trying to make it all happen anyways is there anything else you want to touch on i don't know i think we've talked about everything (laughs) i think we've been talking for basically (laughs) two hours so yeah is anybody uh, still awake out there uh, it's great, but you know that—that's the fun of doing this all. People can listen to this on their way back from LSPR. <laughs> I have no clue if it'll be up before LSPR. <laughs> so.
What's that? Before? I I have no clue. Oh. It, it all depends on when my editor gets to it. So but Probably not. No. Just, just blame the editor. Thank you for listening to the Into the Dust podcast. That was by Joe Moore, presented by Belly Up Sports.